Welcome to Fort Caroline Baptist Church. My name is Stuart. I get to serve as lead pastor here. So thankful that you've chosen to worship uh, with us this weekend, kind of a holiday weekend. You know, this past week, our country celebrated um, just a really sacred holiday, an important holiday. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a holiday where we get the opportunity to look at what's most important in life, to look at what we value and what we care about, what matters most to us as a nation. And so that's why Black Friday is such a big day in the life of our country. I don't know about you guys. Did anybody participate in Black Friday? It's changed a lot over the years, right? It, it, before the internet was kind of everywhere and everything, Black Friday was, was this kind of... Uh, I don't know, it's just chaos out there. I don't know if any of you guys remember going out uh, into the stores and uh, anybody ever do the camping out thing? You camp out outside of Best Buy to save $300 on a TV, right? Or, or a new Nintendo system or something is coming out. For, and the only way your kid's getting one is if you're one of the first 10 people in line. And so you're out there with a tent in November. It's just crazy. You'd see news reports, people getting trampled on the door. I mean, it's just chaos, right? Black Friday, thankfully, uh, I think the internet's largely responsible for this, has, has toned it down quite a bit now. Uh, we, we don't have the, the crazy uh, people getting run over and that kind of stuff in, in parking lots, uh, thankfully. I'm curious what, what type of Black Friday shopper maybe you are. Are you, the, are you the type that's the planner, right? And you've looked at all the sale ads before the day gets here and you know exactly where you're going to go. You're going to hit this store, that store, you're going to get this thing. And, and by, by 12 o'clock, you've got all your Christmas shopping done. Maybe that's you. Perhaps you're the go-with-the-flow type. You don't really have a plan. You just like to be out in it. You know, you kind of feel the hustle and bustle of it, and you, you love it. For some reason, spending obscene amounts of money gets you in the Christmas spirit, and so you just go and, and just see where the wind takes you, right? And you just get out in it, and if a deal strikes you, you grab it, and you're happy about it. Uh, some of you are probably the online-only types. This is maybe many of us now, right? And we're, not, we're not getting out in the car. We're not dealing with the crowds. We're not dealing with the stores. All the deals are online, just the same as they are in the store. And so you're in your PJs with your, with your Christmas coffee, and you're, you're filling up your online shopping cart. Many of the men in the room, uh, we, we don't deal with this, do we? We're just, I'm, not, I'm just not participating. I'm not, I'm, not get, I'm, not, I'm not any type of Black Friday shopper. I'm not doing this. I think it's dumb right? I'll gladly pay $10 more for that just so I don't have to deal with this mess. And I don't know which type of shopper you are. As we think about Black Friday and kind of the, the hustle and bustle of Christmas and, and shopping, uh, what, what is the allure there, what, right? What's the, what's the promise that, that Best Buy or Lowe's or wherever it is is, is making to us? And in many ways, the promise is that you can have the life that you want, the thing that you want, for a little bit less than it usually costs, right? I mean, that's the deal, is, is the good life, what you're after, that, that product that you need, the, the gifts that you wanna buy, the, the new TV that you want, you can have it, and it's just a little bit more attainable for this one or two or three days that make up this kind of shopping weekend. And this idea of grabbing hold of the good life is what we've been talking about all month here at Fort Caroline. We've been working through this series called Be Rich, and the idea, again, is not that we might be rich financially, but the, the Bible says that we would be rich in good works. And this is our fourth and final sermon in that series, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to live the good life and how we can take hold of it. So if you have your Bible, flip over to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. For the fourth week in a row, our text is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll dive in. 1 
The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of wit of that which is truly life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, those last few words, those are our desire, that we may take hold of that which is truly life. Deep down in each and every one of our hearts is a longing that you have placed in us for things of significance, for things that bring joy, for things of peace. Your word tells us in Ecclesiastes that you have placed eternity in our hearts. God, you have put desires in there, God, that only you can satisfy. And as we look at your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would show us ourselves clearly first and then show us you clearly. Lord, you would teach us how we can be people who really and truly live the good life. Would you show us that it's attainable? Would you show us the path towards it? And God, would you be honored as we dive into your word this morning? So speak to us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Timothy 6, 17, we've looked at this several times, but what Timothy, or what Paul is doing here is he's given some instructions, particularly for the rich people in this particular congregation that Timothy is leading in Ephesus. He's given some instructions for how they're to relate to money. And he tells them, hey, you need to let go of your pride. You need to stop placing your hope in your finances. Instead, place your hope in God. You need to be committed to doing good, to to being generous, to sharing what God has given you. And when you live this way, he says, two things are going to happen. Number one, in verse 19, he says, you're going to build a foundation for your eternal future. And number two, you're going to live the best version of this life that is possible. You're going to live a life that will be described as real life, good life, true life. Life And that last phrase, I think, is, is so important. He says that, he says that we're going to take hold of that which is truly life. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like what I want, doesn't it? That we might take hold of what is truly life. The world that we live in has told us over and over and over again what the good life is like. And it has sold us a bill of goods. It's deceived us into thinking that we can have the good life if we can buy enough or or spend enough or go to enough cool places or have enough experiences that we will have the real good life. And what we've been working through in this Be Rich sermon series is is the idea that, that real life, the real good life is not found in anything that this world has to offer. We looked week one at, at this idea of, of having a right relationship to money, of putting our hope in God and not in our money. We looked in week two at, at what it meant to, to truly have joy and contentment and peace uh, in our finances and what it, meant, what it looks like to be generous and how we can be, um, find joy through our generosity. Last week, Pastor Matt did a great job of of walking us through what it looks like to find real life in serving others and giving ourselves and our time away. And this week, we're going to zoom in on this last phrase of what it means to have life, true life. 
The first thing I want you guys to see, church, is the problem that we have. We have a problem, and the problem is us. The problem is our insatiable hearts. Our insatiable hearts. We have hearts that always want more. Amen? Anybody else's heart like that or just mine? We have hearts that always want more. Most people that I meet, the most people that you and I meet, are constantly in search of the good life. We're trying to create a world of joy, of satisfaction, of peace, a world of pleasure. We're trying to remove hardship, pain, and difficulty out of our way. And we're trying to build a life that is fun, that is enjoyable, that is good, right? The American dream, if you will, is what we're all chasing. Many of us are trying to build our good life through getting more stuff. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about Black Friday and shopping and, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get the deal on the next thing. <coughs> Excuse me. The entire American shopping industry is built on the reality that you and I are never going to be satisfied. We're never going to be satisfied. We're never going to have enough. We're never going to be done shopping. Advertisers are banking on us being dissatisfied with our lives and therefore being susceptible to the lie that if we get this one more thing, everything will be awesome. Instagram influencers get paid to show us how amazing these products are and how life-changing they are and how they'll change everything for us. If we'll just spend $1.99 on this thing or that thing, everything will be awesome. And we are so dumb because we keep believing it, don't we? I don't know what it is for you that, that you're convinced, and you would never admit this out loud. We're all smarter than that, right? But just deep down that you're convinced would make just life awesome. For me, if I could take my grill to the next level, <laughs> guys, I think we'd be there. We'd have heaven on earth, right? I, I, I got a, a pellet smoker, uh, I guess it's been three years ago now for, for Christmas, uh, maybe the greatest gift I've ever received. Um, and uh, it's awesome. Um, it, it was not cheap, um, and it does a great job. It does exactly what a pellet smoker is smoke, supposed to do. It creates smoke that heats up uh, meat, and then we eat it, and it's delicious, right? But did you know they make better ones? Yeah. Mine has a knob that you have to turn. They make them with, like, digital consoles on them instead. Mine has a, has a probe that you stick into it to uh, monitor the temperature of the meat, and, and that probe uh, connects to a, a, a display screen next to the grill, and I have to go outside and check it and make sure we're at temperature. But did you know they make, like, Wi-Fi-enabled probes? <laughs> so I could be, like, across town and be, like, checking on my phone on how the brisket's doing. Sometimes I'm convinced if I could just, you know, just get that next-level grill, life would be awesome. Girls are totally flabbergasted by this. I think this is the dumbest thing they've ever heard. And yeah, I would encourage the ladies in the room to just, just think for a minute before they go criticizing us. Somehow, last year, every woman in America was convinced that if they got a 40-ounce tumbler drink with a handle on the side and a straw coming out, that life would be awesome. Some of you guys, I see them in here now. Some of you guys fell for it made by a, a thermos company who makes like thermoses for construction workers, but they made them pink and you guys went nuts over them. <laughs> Big ways like cars, houses, small ways, a new book or a new water bottle. We imagine that we can create the good life for ourselves with the stuff that we collect. But here's the problem, is it's never good enough, is it? 
There'll be a new water bottle this year. There'll be another improvement on the grill or whatever it is, whatever your thing is, it's going to go out of date. It's going to, there's going to be an update required. People that make these phones that we use, they get in trouble because they started sabotaging the phones. Did you guys read about this? They started sabotaging the phone so that in two years you would want a new one and just have to keep spending money. And yet we keep trying to build the good life through our stuff, don't we? We try to build the good life through our experiences. If some, some people are, have, have rejected this idea of stuff making life awesome. And so my generation, especially maybe folks younger than me, have decided that experiences, if I could travel the world, then I will really have taken hold of the good life. I want to hop on a plane. I want to visit a foreign country. I want to experience the culture, the food, the sights, the sounds, the people. And if I can do that, then I will really be living the good life. We want to leave the monotony of our daily routines and head instead for someplace beautiful or magical. There's a reason that Disney markets itself as at the happiest place on earth, right? They want you to believe that the good life can really be found if you'll just come and experience life there in their parks. They should instead market themselves as the most expensive place on earth. We rarely say it this way, but what we're really saying is that the daily life that we're living isn't good enough. And so we want to leave it. We want to leave the routines. We want to leave the location. We want to leave the responsibilities. We want to go somewhere else. Even if it's just for a week, because that's all we can save up and afford, we just want to go live a different life. We're running from this one. What happens, you, you have a friend that goes on a cool trip, takes great pictures of it. Inevitably, a week or two, maybe a month later, they always have to post more pictures of it, right? What's the caption always say? It says, take me back, right? Have you seen this? Take me back. Why? I want to leave this routine and I want to go somewhere else. The good life is found elsewhere. Here's the thing. Whether your vision of the good life is getting more stuff or maybe your vision of the good life is bigger experiences or traveling the world, I'm willing to bet that your version of the good life takes money to make it happen, doesn't it? It takes more money. And so we're chasing more money. Every one of us seems to be chasing more and more and more. How many times have you said to your spouse, if we just had $500 more each month, we'd be set, right? We'd be good. That would kind of cover the shortage. That would give us a little breathing room in the budget and everything would be good. You ever had that conversation with your spouse? Maybe it was five or 10 years ago. Maybe you got the raise that you needed, the promotion that you wanted, and now you make that five or six or $700 more a month. Are you still satisfied? You still content? Or do you now still need actually another five or six or $700 more a month to be where you need to be? Constantly chasing something that we never seem to be able to find. What's happening here? What's, what's the dynamic at play? What's wrong with us? Oil tycoon John D. Rockefeller, richest man who ever lived, richer than any of the guys that uh, are famous now, in his inflation-adjusted fortune was worth $26 billion at the height of his success leading Standard Oil he was asked by a reporter, he said, Mr. Rockefeller, when are you going to have enough money to be happy? His response was, just a little bit more. $26 billion. And he said, I need just a little bit more. I don't think there's any $26 billion people in here, but I guarantee you all of our hearts have the same response. Just a little bit more. 
Why is it that even when we get what we're after, it's never quite enough? Here's the reason. We're trying to satisfy our hearts with that which cannot satisfy. We're trying to satisfy our hearts with something that cannot satisfy. Look up in your Bible, if you're still at 1 Timothy 6, scroll up or flip back a page to verse 9. 1 Timothy 6, 9, the Apostle Paul, still in this conversation about money and finances. He says this, he says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul says this yearning, this longing, this desire for more, it's dangerous. Why? Because you'll never be satisfied and so you'll keep chasing it. And he says what's happened is some people chase it so far that they even abandon the faith. They walk away from it. These desires, they harm us, they ruin us, they destroy us, they can even shipwreck our faith. Why? It's because we're trying to make them do for us what only God can do for us. We're trying to make our stuff and our experiences and our money usher in the good life. We're convinced if we can just get a little bit more, do a little bit more, collect a little bit more, earn a little bit more, we will have it. We'll have the life that we're after. In reality, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring heaven to earth, if you think about it. We're trying to bring heaven to earth. We're trying to bring a life without pain, a life without hardship, a life without difficulty, a life filled with joy, fun, peace, and rest. Flip to the end of your Bible. Revelation chapter 21 gives us a picture of what heaven will be like. In Revelation 21, beginning of verse 4, it says this. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Isn't this what we're after? No death, no tears, no sadness, no pain, no hurt. Everything new, everything shiny. It says we're going to drink and be satisfied without payment. We're going to have all that we need. We're after heaven. What is Black Friday about? It's not about shopping. It's about trying to bring heaven to earth. What is our constant pursuit of money about? It's not about dollars and cents. It's about trying to bring heaven to our lives. Our thirsts quench, our desires met. Our desires for these things are not inherently bad. I think they're God-given desires. And God intends to meet these desires. The problem is that we're trying to meet these desires with things that can never satisfy us. Here's the secret to the good life, church. You came on a holiday weekend. You get the secret to life. Here we go. Here's the secret to the good life. The good life is found in a relationship with God himself. The good life is found in a relationship with God himself. Look up just one verse ahead of Revelation 21. We read verses four through six. Look at verse three. 
of Revelation 21. Revelation 21.3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. How does, how does the good life show up in heaven? How do all the needs get met? How do all the pain gets taken away? Not by earning enough or getting enough stuff. How does the good life happen? God shows up. And in your life and mine, the path to real joy, to real peace, to real satisfaction is not more stuff. It's more of God. The Bible is trying to show us that God is the real key to the life that we're after. This brings us to our second point. Is we serve a satisfying God. We serve a satisfying God. The key to finding joy in this life is not found in accumulating more stuff, but in getting more of God. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you really can experience a life of joy, peace, and contentment in this life. You can live free from the comparison trap and the rat race and the need to keep up with the Joneses, whoever they are. You can have that life through a deep and genuine connection with the God of the universe. We're stepping into the Advent season. Advent's just the uh, church word for the Christmas season. Advent means um, uh, waiting or arrival. We're going to celebrate and we're going to talk about it and we're going to sing songs about Jesus coming right in a manger. You've all got maybe got your nativity scene set up and Jesus is there in swaddling clothes in a bed of hay in a manger. And Jesus comes to earth for one purpose, the Bible says, to seek and save that which is lost. That's us. That's me and you. He lives a perfect life, a life that you and I should have lived, but we fail to live. He goes to a cross to pay a, a penalty—I'm going to say penalty and punishment at the same time—to pay a punishment that we ought to be paying. He dies on that cross for our sins, so that we can have a relationship with Him fellowship with him, communion with him. So often we get hung up on what Jesus came to do for us, and we forget that Jesus actually came to be with us as well. Perhaps the most famous prophecy about the coming of Christ that gets repeated at Christmas time over and over again is Matthew, and it's from Isaiah chapter 7, but Matthew chapter 1 quotes it. Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Look at the parentheses. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And the prophets are telling of all the kingdom of God that Jesus is going to usher in, all the hope that we have in Jesus. What is the hope based on? That God will be with us. One of the miracles of the gospel is that we can be with God. We can have a relationship with him. We can know him and be known by him. The disciples live this out in a very real way, right? They got to walk and talk with him. And he's getting ready to leave. And Jesus says, hey, I'm, I, I got to go. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave you with someone. In John chapter 14, he promises the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Jesus says, even as I leave, I'm going to leave my spirit with you. And that same Holy Spirit is available to you and I who have put our faith in Jesus. 
which means we can commune with God. Do we understand that, church? We can interact with God. We can speak to him, and he can speak to us. He can lead us and guide us. We can sense his presence. The secret to the good life is life with God, knowing him and being known by him. The secret to the good life is in relationship. We kind of know this inherently, don't we? I don't know, it was probably a week ago, maybe two. Um, we were sitting in the backyard of my home, and, and uh, Taylor and I were in the, in the back. The weather was fantastic. It's the reason people moved to Florida. It's like November, and it was you know, 65 degrees. The kids were playing uh, together nicely, not yelling, not screaming at one another. There was no blood involved, no broken bones, no tears. They were just playing. It's magical. Taylor and I were just sitting there, I think with either hot chocolate or tea or something like that, and just like everything was calm. And I looked over at Taylor and I said, this is it. This is the good life. This is as good as it gets. And it lasted every bit of three minutes. It was awesome. Before somebody was screaming at someone else, right? But there's this sense in that I didn't need anything else in that moment. I had the people I loved around me and near me. I wasn't after anything else, didn't need anything else, was satisfied with what I had. I said, this is it. This is the good life. A little taste of what the Apostle Paul is promising us in 1 Timothy. You can look at verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6. It says this, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. What's he saying? He's saying that godliness, which just means knowing God or walking with God, godliness is the path to great gain, to real life, to real joy. The stuff we're chasing, money, experiences, possessions, they're not going to satisfy, they're not going to last so he says, just make sure you got clothes on your back and food on your table, and make sure you have God, and everything else is fine. Paul learned this by experience. In Philippians, he talks about his journey to discover contentment. I was watching a football game last night. Perhaps you watched it too. During the football game, they interviewed uh, Tim Tebow. You've probably heard of him. Um, and he talked way too much. I felt like they should have cut back to the game. But anyways, it reminded me of, uh, of T- Tebow. I don't know if you saw the score of that game, but you should look it up. It reminded me of um, uh, Tebow's famous for putting Bible verses under his eyes, right? You guys have seen the pictures of him, uh, and he'll put Bible verses of, on, under his eyes. One of the several covers of Sports Illustrated that he was on, he has uh, Philippians 4.13 written on his cheeks, right under his eyes for the whole world to see. Philippians 4.13 has got to be the most famous sports verse in the world, right? It says, if you're not familiar, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's what Philippians 4.13 says. You know what Philippians 4.11 and 12 say right before we get to 4.13? It's the Apostle Paul talking. Listen to what he says. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What is Philippians 4.13 about? It's about living a life in contentment. 
Paul says, whether I have a ton, I've had a lot, I've had plenty, or whether I've had nothing, I have found that if I have Jesus, I can do any of it. When we're connected to Jesus, the things that this world offer to us, they pale in comparison. No scenic view can compare with the beauty of our Savior. No amount of stuff can compare to the gift of salvation he offers. No sum of money can make us feel secure like we do in the presence of the Lord. I don't know if you grew up in or around church, but uh, Christian music uh, pinnacled uh, in the mid-2000s. It's been going downhill ever since, but Third Day was my go-to band. Any other Third Day fans here? They have a song called Nothing Compares, and the second verse of the song reads this way. It says, I see all the people wasting all their time, building up their riches for a life that's fine. And he rolls into the chorus, which says, but nothing compares to the greatness of knowing you, Lord. I think the Apostle Paul echoes that sentiment. The whole testimony of Scripture tells us that is true. Real life is not found in what we can accumulate or what we can do or what we can accomplish. Real life is found in knowing Jesus. Our challenge is to believe it, to put it in practice. We're told in a thousand different ways that the good life can be grabbed, it can be bought. The reality is the good life can only be bought through the blood of Christ. The psalmist says in Psalm 90, he says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Our task is to find our satisfaction in Christ. So as we close, just some quick takeaways. How do we cultivate contentment in our hearts? How do we, how do we grow in this area? How do we uh, push against what the world tells us leads to life and instead take hold of what the Bible says will be life? I would tell you four things. The first thing I would encourage you to do is walk with God. Walk with God. This sounds like the most basic thing on earth, and it is. But it's also the thing we struggle with the most, isn't it? I want to encourage you to make time in your life to daily walk with God. If real life is being found with God, real life is in Christ, then go to Jesus. Make time to spend time in his word. Build a habit of meeting with him daily. This Advent season, especially in the rush that is the Christmas season, I would encourage you to read God's word. Read it slowly. Read it for quality and not quantity. Read it repeatedly so that it kind of gets down into your heart. And then I would encourage you to spend time in prayer. God's word is speaking to your heart, so you respond by speaking to him in prayer. Confess the ways that you've fallen short of God's standard for your life. Think of all the ways and all the reasons that we should be worshiping God and tell him what those are. Confess your lack of contentment. Tell him thank you for the cross and for Jesus and for the security we have in him. Bring the needs of your life to God. The Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life. We wonder why we're so hungry and never satisfied all the time, and yet we won't feast on the bread of life that sits right there waiting to meet with us. Second thing I would encourage you to do is live generously. This is what we've been talking about in Be Rich. Live generously. When we live generously, we have a way of breaking the power that our wicked hearts have over our life. When we give away of our resources, when we give away of our money, we're telling ourselves that we don't need it, that true joy and hope and peace is not found in those things. And so I would encourage you to live generously. Put your life into perspective as we give towards the mission of God. 
We've talked about that a lot, so I won't, won't belabor the point. Similarly, last week, Pastor Matt talking about serving others. I would encourage you to serve. Find ways to give away of your time, your energy, and effort. When you live as if you are the center of the universe, it's bad for your soul, church, isn't it? Living as if you're the center of the universe is not the way God intended for us to live. And serving others helps remind us that God has blessed us so we can bless others. Finally, I want to encourage you to practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. There's a direct connection between gratitude and contentment in our hearts. They go together. When you're grateful for what you have, you will see it as enough. But when you're not grateful for what you have, you will never have enough. I encourage you to get a journal and write out all that you have to be thankful for. Meditate on all that God has blessed you with and tell him thank you. And be sure that the cross is always at the center of what you're grateful for, remembering that in Jesus we have all that we need because we have eternal life, we have the forgiveness of sins, we have safety and security in him. Church, each and every one of us wants the good life. The question is, how are you going to chase it? Will you pursue it by pursuing stuff, by pursuing money, by pursuing more and more and more? Or will you take hold of that which is really life by pursuing Christ? The choice is ours. Some small steps each day can help us choose Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't leave us alone in this world, but instead you give us a guide. You show us how we ought to live. You show us what real life looks like, what true life looks like, what joy and peace looks like. And would you help us to be people that pursue those things as we pursue you? Lord, would you forgive us for the ways in which we have been deceived into thinking that we can find joy and peace and happiness and contentment in the stuff of this world? Or would you help us turn from that and instead turn to you? We thank you that you have met all of our greatest needs in your death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And so would you fill us with gratitude for what you've done for us? Would you fill us with joy as we walk with you? And God, would you help us to truly see that real life comes from pursuing you and being content with what you've given us? We love you, Lord. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.